Hi, and welcome to the National Shooting Sports Foundation's podcast series, Gun Industry Speaks. As the trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry, we're often talked about in the news and on social media. Throughout this series, we will be speaking for ourselves. We will cover who we represent, what our goals are, and what we do to promote real solutions for safer communities. My name is Elizabeth McGuigan, and I'm the Director of Policy and Legislative Research for NSSF. I'm here with our President, Joe Bertozzi. If you're just joining us, we would recommend going back and starting with our first episode, in which we covered who we are as a trade association. Today, we're focused on a topic in the headlines, restricting the size of gun magazines. Just as we did in our last episode on efforts to ban modern sporting rifles, we're going to start at the top with some important background. Joe, even some gun owners get confused about this. What is a magazine? Yeah, a magazine in the, in the firearms context, of mm -hmm. course, is essentially a metal box with a spring, okay. but it is a, an ammunition storage device. It can be either internal to the firearm or mm -hmm. external, as in a detachable magazine okay. or removable magazine, and it's designed to hold ammunition and to feed that ammunition up into the firearm so the firearm can cycle and function. Okay, that makes sense. So it's a component for a firearm that holds a set amount of ammunition. What are the typical sizes that are provided by manufacturers when you buy a new gun? A new gun, you would have magazines ranging anywhere from 10 to 30 rounds, okay. typically. There are some that, are f that could be five rounds and some mm -hmm. that could be more than 30 rounds. But depending on the firearm type, the physical, the physical shape of the firearm itself, um, you could have typically 10 rounds or, or 15 or 20 rounds in a particular firearm. So what the media and some gun control proponents talk about as large or high capacity magazines are in fact common across America today. Um, now we hear a lot of confusion in the debate about limiting the size of these magazines um, and a lot of that has to do with basically limiting the guns and how they're used. And I often hear people ask about why a gun owner would need 15 or 30 rounds of ammunition. Now, I proudly own eight pairs of running shoes, and I arguably do not need more than one. Um, so I'm naturally opposed to <coughs> arbitrary limits on consumer choice. But as a shooter and a hunter, can you speak to how you answer that question about why a gun owner needs a certain amount of ammunition? Well, that's going to be individual to, to the particular gun owner. Mm -hmm. um, if they're using a firearm for self-defense, which is a predominant and legitimate right. use of a firearm, uh, they're going to want to have the capacity that they feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about, you know, what is a high-capacity magazine. I mean, New York passed a law where seven, right. anything over seven became high-capacity. I mean, seven rounds for any firearm that that is commonly owned is a very low number, mm -hmm. but it's an but nonetheless it's an arbitrary number. No matter what right. you say, someone's gonna say, well, why do you need that many? Why not X minus or X plus? Right. It depends on what you're using it for. Mm -hmm. So I think to be arbitrary with regard to that is limiting a person's personal choice and mm -hmm. personal freedoms, frankly. So you think about even driving a car. You know, your car can go 160 miles an hour. You don't necessarily always do that, but nobody is coming around saying you need to limit the car capacity to 65 miles an hour so nobody can choose to go faster on the Autobahn, or, for example. I can get a ticket for standing still because my, because my speedometer goes to 160. Yeah, that would be, that'd be kind of ridiculous, but it's the right. same analogy. Right. Uh, you're, you're being associated with a somehow guilty, mm -hmm. uh, somehow a guilty action just by simply having a, a, a 
firearm magazine, it's, it's, ar it's arbitrary and it's, and it's, and it's uh, wrong. It is. And I mean, we often hear, though, that banning magazines for firearms based on these, as you said, arbitrary limits is often put forward as common sense measures to reduce crime rates, especially when we see these uh, discussions happening after some of the highly publicized tragedies that we've seen recent in recent years. Um, but looking at the facts, we see that limiting magazine capacity by an arbitrary number will not reduce the crime rate. What do we know about how many rounds of ammunition are typically fired by a criminal when they're misusing a gun in their criminal activities? So to answer your question about mm -hmm. how many rounds are typically fired in a, in a criminal action, mm -hmm. you're talking less than four, okay. 3.2, 3.7 rounds. Again, everything, there's studies on all this sorts of thing. Right. Uh, it's typically a very low number and typically less than you'd find in your standard capacity revolver. Mm. Um, and I want to also touch on something you said earlier regarding yeah. The cr you know, criminals and, and used in crimes. If we keep overlooking the point that these are used in crimes by mm -hmm. criminals, I say this is a criminal justice matter, right. something for law enforcement to explore and to deal with, as opposed to arbitrarily limiting the number of rounds in a particular magazine that a law-abiding gun owner would mm -hmm. use. So we keep shifting the debate back to creating hurdles and obstacles for law-abiding people right. and keep glossing over the the fact that this is a criminal thing, mm -hmm. we should be looking at this in the criminal context, identify the root cause of why these crimes are being committed and go with it at that, right, as opposed right. to creating arbitrary limits. As opposed to hurdles for people who are actually following the law and not, not breaking the law. Um, now, what about the argument that limiting magazine size will help limit some of the criminal mass shooting casualties? So we hear that a lot too. If you have smaller magazines, will fewer people be killed in one of these tragedies? I would think the answer would be no, because magazines can be changed. Mm. They can mm -hmm. be changed out. In some of the tragic shootings that we've seen, unfortunately, a shooter will arrive with several 10-round magazines, right. and they can be swapped out very quickly. In, a ma in, in less than two seconds, mm -hmm. you can switch out a magazine. So I think, again, that's scapegoating. It's creating an artificial uh, argument, mm -hmm. if you will, as to what one magazine is better than another. Sure. In, in a particular type of firearm, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, we have to focus on the crime, focus on the criminal, and focus on eliminating the causes mm -hmm. of these of crimes. Yeah, that, that makes sense. We know that even in the Virginia Tech shooting, um, the shooter changed magazines a total of 17 times during the course of his rampage. And this is extremely fast and um, certainly not a, a hurdle to a criminal action. And I think, as you said, we need to figure out why that criminal activity is happening, why that tragedy is, is taking place, rather than vilifying the particular box with the spring in it. The most important thing we could say about that is, after the assault weapons ban expired mm -hmm. in 2004, the Centers for Disease Control conducted a study. They looked at 51 objective studies mm -hmm. based upon that law that was for in effect for 10 years. All the gun control measures that were used or employed during that period of time, and they could not show a single study that indicated the magazine capacity limitations, which were part of that law, right, right, had any effect law. on crime. We know that crime has been coming down. It's still going down. Mm -hmm. But for the Center for Disease Control to look at it and say, this didn't have an effect, I think that's hugely important. 
for our debates going forward. It is. If it didn't work then, why would it work now? Right. So there have been studies, no effect. The magazine ban is an arbitrary barrier for law-abiding citizens mm -hmm. to exercise their rights to defend themselves, yeah. and that's what and that's what that's about. And we've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of talk about even going beyond just banning a magazine banning a, ba a magazine based on its capacity to talking about banning guns based on their capacity just to accept detachable magazines. You know, you you might get a ten round magazine with your firearm in the box, but if you can pop it out and put in a 30 round, all of a sudden that gun could be banned. Can you talk a bit more about the kind of unintended consequence behind banning a gun based on its capacity to hold a magazine? Well, yeah, I have to wonder if it's actually unintended or, whether it's, in, or whether it's intentional language right. because right. a firearm, magazines in some, for some guns mm -hmm. can be replicated by aftermarket companies very okay. easily. Yep. So if, if I design a firearm that is uh, designed to hold, let's say, 10 rounds, mm -hmm. uh, put it on the market, there's nothing to stop somebody else mm -hmm. from creating a 20-round magazine, uh, an aftermarket company, let's right, say. Right. All, so then all of a sudden, the firearm that I own and lawfully use has now become contraband because mm -hmm. somebody's created another magazine. This whole capable of accepting argument is a very technical one. Right. But again, I, I, I do have to question whether or not that's intentional because by doing that, all classes of right. semi-automatic firearms could essentially be banned because they are capable of accepting a magazine of just about any capacity if someone has a mind to do that sort right. of thing. So it's, it's a very slippery slope and we have to be very, very careful that that type of um, language gets sneaked in there mm -hmm. when no one's paying attention. Yeah, makes sense. So instead of appropriately focusing on the actions of um, mentally disturbed individuals, criminals who are deliberately breaking the law, no matter what the law is, um, the focus is again being shifted, as you said, to affect law-abiding citizens. Um, now, uh, recent tragedies, however, they're, they're not caused by the characteristics of the firearms. They're not caused by the size of the magazine. They're caused by the actions, the criminal, um, mentally ill actions of the perpetrators. And um, after some of these tragedies, some have even called for the government to confiscate all the legally owned magazines above a certain capacity. Again, just an arbitrary number. Um, but aside from the obvious serious <coughs> constitutional questions that confiscation of any private property raises, how could a magazine roundup or even a registration mandate ever be practically achieved? There are roughly, based on our studies, roughly 130 million okay. magazines in the country mm -hmm. uh, and a bulk of those, a large percentage of those, would be considered high capacity by some state legislatures. Right. Um, the fact that they're not serialized raises the issue of how would you know mm -hmm. um, if you're getting them all. Right. But I think to a more basic point is that the law-abiding citizen may turn in their magazines, mm -hmm. but the criminals aren't going to do this. Certainly not. This is not something that, even if all the law-abiding citizens do this, this mm -hmm. is not something that the criminal is going to do. Right. By definition, right. they're going to be criminals. Um, so I think it's, a, it's an argument that really is, is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. It creates a whole host of not just Second Amendment issues, but also other due process mm -hmm. and private property issues uh, that are contained in the Constitution. 
uh, certainly privacy issues as sure. well, perhaps. Sure. But as a practical matter, um, the law-abiding person with a magazine of whatever capacity mm -hmm. is not the problem. Right. So there, there is the there is the bigger issue there. You're punishing, you're punishing the law-abiding folks that want to do the right thing, for the actions of criminals. You're making them a criminal by law, rather than punishing those who are breaking the existing laws. Correct. Now we, um, you're a lawyer. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in California recently? I know they had a statewide ballot initiative that did require confiscation, <coughs> but the courts have put a hold on that. What's the story there? Well, the district court for the District of Southern California ruled that magazines over 10 rounds are obviously and plainly in common use. And that common use language mm -hmm. comes out of the, the, um, the Heller decision okay. that it would be unconstitutional to ban firearms mm -hmm. that are in common use. And going along with that, it is clear and mm -hmm. obvious that firearms need ammunition and magazines to support right. their operations. So to say that common use, um, lawful purposes like self-defense can't infringe on those things, you can't confiscate. So they actually, the, the district court there put a hold on that ballot initiative okay. and it's winding its way through the, through the legal system out there in California. But it's a very important precedent mm -hmm. because if a ballot initiative can deprive law-abiding citizens of their constitutionally protected rights, what's next? Right. What else might be on the hit list of the Bill of Rights to go away next? Due process, right. you know, um, trial by jury, who knows? Mm -hmm. If it's not expedient, we're just gonna do a ballot initiative and, and confiscate people's guns or their rights. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a very dangerous trend and I'm, I'm very thankful that the district court saw it the right way and, right, right. and we hope that it'll continue that in that direction. Yeah, it, you know, it is a dangerous trend, as you said, in terms of our, our freedoms as Americans. And it's also clear that these bans and uh, laws to confiscate or otherwise restrict magazine size, they're not gonna stop violent criminals. We know that they're only gonna disarm, as you said, the legal gun owners who wanna protect themselves or um, make their own choices for what they want that fits best fits their legal activities and their hobbies. Um, what is the gun industry doing to help prevent some of the guns from getting into the wrong hands to begin with? Because that, as you said, that's the crux of the problem, right? We are striving with a number of programs to keep guns out of the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. All right, I don't care whether what type of firearm it is, if should not be in the hands of a criminal or a otherwise prohibited person. Right. And there's a list that the, the government has created which indicates what those pro prohibiting factors are. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We have a fixed NICS initiative that ensures that the background material, the background check materials are full and complete mm -hmm. as submitted by the states to the federal system. Very important because when Absolutely. someone walks into a gun store to buy a gun, uh, the gun owner, the gun shop owner, I should say, the gun shop owner wants to be able to say that this background check that I've just run is complete and correct and right. accurate. So the records have the to be records in the FBI's database. Correct. So that's one thing that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. We've changed the law in 16 states. Very, very important. We changed the law at the federal level. Mm -hmm. President Trump signed it last year. It's a great accomplishment to help make sure the records are in place. We have, right. we have Project Child Safe, which mm -hmm. is a lock giveaway program. Uh, don't lie for the other guy, which is an anti-straw purchasing campaign. These are things that we're doing. We have yeah. a suicide prevention component to our to our materials. We provide free of charge to dealers all across the country to identify so those who might be in crisis. So again, the wrong hands, sometimes is a criminal. Right. Sometimes right. it's a child. 
Sometimes it's someone who's going through a crisis in their life. Okay, we're trying to address those issues by doing something meaningful mm -hmm. and substantive to protect them mm -hmm. and to protect the public right. from the criminal element. So those are things we are doing in a tangible, in a tangible fashion. And unlike things like banning magazines based on their ammunition capacity, these programs actually work. They've been effective. We have a track record of success with these and other programs. Um, now we will get into these programs more in depth in other episodes, but I wanted to thank you. That's all of our time for today. So thanks to Joe and thank you for listening. And please join us next time for another deep dive into the issues facing our communities today and how the gun industry is working for real solutions for safer communities.